Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and we bid adieu to 2017 and Christmas set episodes by having Andrew Glazebrook along to discuss both the opening scene and the inventor's first appearance in Edward Scissorhands. I must be allowed to speak. Hello Andrew. Hi, you okay? I am absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, today it's um, Edward Scissorhands. Um, we're doing this one because um, <clears throat> December is the uh, Christmas-themed uh, episodes. Right. And, and this film, for me, along with It's a Wonderful Life and, <coughs> excuse me, and the Alistair Sims Scrooge, uh, these are my three favourite Christmas films, I think. Right. Um I'd agree with the wonderful life. I, I, Scrooge isn't something I've, I'm particularly familiar with. Uh, I'd probably say Muppets Christmas Carol oh, right. is one of my favourites. That was actually on yesterday, so uh, I do like Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, um, the, the, the songs in that you hear it once and you've got it stuck in your head. Yeah, all day long, haven't you? Yeah. But uh, yeah, the Alistair Sims Scrooge, I don't think I've actually seen, to tell you the truth. You should see it. You should track it out this Christmas. Try and track it out. And but. Do you is, that, is that David Lean? Is it a David Lean directed is movie? Is it David Lean? I think it is, actually. Yeah, it right. might be. Might, might, might well be. But I tell you what, and anybody who's mm. listening, you know, um, my favourite version of, uh, of Scrooge that's not a film is the animated version. Did you ever see the animated version? Uh, oh, it, which version's that? Like, it, when, it, when was it from, out? like, the the early to mid-70s. Um, right. Um, it's an animated version with Alistair Sim reprising his uh, role as Scrooge. And it's by the guys who went on to do, I think hmm. it's Aardman an- Animation. Um, oh, right, okay. And it is, the, my God, um, you know, I still remember watching that and just being scared witless by you know the ghosts it is a creepy creep i think it's on youtube you should you should look it up it is oh boy oh boy oh boy that is very very strong stuff all right i thought when you do you say ardman it's not the cosgrove hall you don't you mean or is it cosgrove i know it's and i know it was a fledgling company at the time that went on to greats i didn't really think i'd be talking about this right now so i haven't researched it yeah yeah it might it, it might be them yeah yeah, because they did the BFG and things like that as yeah, well, didn't they? But yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll have put to a have link a up, and I'll put a link up when when this episode comes out. And yeah, you should take a look because oh boy, <laughs> that right. is something else—scary, scary stuff. Ah, cool. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> what do you think? How, how, how are you a big Tim Burton fan? And 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 if so, where would this rate in his films uh, for you? I'm I'm not. I wouldn't say I was a huge Tim Burton fan. I do like some of his works, and this is obviously one of his quintessential works. This is kind of a typical Burton-esque movie. Mm. Um, and, you know, he's one of those directors where he was in that, like, little niche for quite a while, of doing these very 
similar type of films. And you can see, you know, no director wants to just be stuck forever doing those type of movies because, you know, people wear, it wears thin quite fast. Um, so he has gone on to do other types of movies. But uh, this was the, you know, very much like the Nightmare Before Christmas and um, uh, Frank and Weenie and all of those type of films he'd done with the kind of the horror and the, just the, the 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 sort of very I suppose I wouldn't say German expressionistic design, but it has that kind of feel to it, hasn't mm. it? You know, where everything's a little bit kind of off kilter. Yeah, very um, mu- very much so. I mean, you know, before this came out, we had had Beetlejuice, yeah, um, yeah. and we'd had Vincent, um, yeah. and you know, I, I I responded to that. I was a fan of that, so yeah. you, you know, this was ticking all the right boxes for me, and a lot of. The reasons why this is my favourite Tim Burton film, you know, those staples are there and and I love them in this film. It was it just films that he made after Edward Scissorhands, he seemed to be going back to the same uh, yeah. thing again and again. And they become quite tired, I think, after a while. You know, it's like, oh, here we go. Another Tim Burton film. That looks like something I've already seen. Oh, it's Danny yeah. Elfman doing the music. And everything <laughs> became kind of very samey. Whereas back here with Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands, they were new and it was fresh and it was interesting and it was different to all the stuff that was out at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. This was one of those as well where um, I'd started working at the cinema in 89. So this was 90. So it was one of the ones where I wasn't actually projectionist at this point, so I could stand in the back of a showing and pretty much watch the whole film. Mm. Um, so, you know, if it had been probably like two years later, I would have been projecting and I probably wouldn't have actually seen it. I would have just ended up watching bits through the porthole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do remember, you know, physically standing in the back of the screen and watching pretty much a full showing or probably over two, two, two days or something watching the yeah. whole film. I remember um, you, you, you say it came out in 90 and you started in 89. I saw this film in 89. Mm. Um, there was, I don't know how, but a friend of mine in the cinema I worked at, he was assistant manager and he got, I don't know how he got hold of them, but he got tickets to an industry screening of this right. film. And we went up to Leicester Square. We saw the film and it was fantastic. Fell in love with it. I want to see it again. But it's like, crap, we've got to wait another year. <laughs> and it was literally like a year you had to wait until um, it was released in the UK. Yeah, I think it was released in uh, the December, wasn't it, in the um, in the States mm. for sure. But I, I get the feeling... Was it a summer movie here? It was. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, like, like a June or July sort of release, which it, was. It's kind of the opposite. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about uh, Gremlins and Gremlins. When that came out, it was a, it was a May release in America. And, right. But a December release in England. This is the opposite way round now, you know? Yeah. So, in, I mean, it does have snow in it and things like that. But, you know, it's not necessarily a Christmas movie, is it? Um, you know, it. It, it feels Christmassy, but I wouldn't necessarily say it was a Christmas movie, um, no. especially seeing as though they released it in the July or the June in the UK. But but that's yeah. part of the fun of it. You know, the, the the town that's in the film, you know, it's uh, it's never stated, but, you know, it's it, it's like Los Angeles. It's California, you know. Yeah. And you, so you have got people stapling, you know, fake snow onto their roofs and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Hi, uh, like you said, you know, but Burton's a, a hit and miss director for me. Um, you know, he, he has done some very good movies, and then he's done some which I've thought are incredibly bad, as in mm. the remake of Planet of the Apes, which you know I really can't stand. 
um, even though you've got some absolutely fantastic people working on there. Yeah. Um, but it was just such a, a misfire for as a project. It was a case of why bother, wasn't it? You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, don't get me started on Batman either. Because... <laughs> okay, all right, moving on. Um, sticking with Edward Scissorhands, though, I mean, one of the things that I really liked about it, as I say, we saw a bit of it in Vincent and Beetlejuice, and here it was here big time, is the bizarre gothic horror look to it. And it reminded me at the time, and it reminds me still now, of the... Do you remember the, the, hom- the, the horror comedy strips that you'd get in British boys' comics here in the yeah. UK? You know, like Shiver and Shake, yeah, things yeah, like that, def- where you had definitely. a lot of humour, but had this grim horror element to it. I mean, Grimly Fiendish, very yeah. much so, was like that. And, 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 you know, the creations of Leo Baxendale and uh, Ken mm-hmm. Reed, you know. Yeah. Uh, very yeah, much used, in used to get, used to get a lot of those type of comics. They were always uh, doing it. You always had these comedy strips like The Haunted Mansion and stuff like this, you know, where, uh, yeah, that, it was a comedy strip, but the artwork was really quite, you know, grim, wasn't it? Yeah. I've, in fact, uh, I've been meaning to sort of on Instagram do a whole run about British boys comics of that kind of era, you know, mm. the cra- crazy and cheeky and things like that, mm. you know, because uh, there, there was a lot of them. And you had monster fun as well, where every strip was a, yeah. a, a horror cat character that's yeah. one where you had gums wasn't it do you remember gums when jaws came out yeah. there was a comedy one where there was a shark who had false teeth and every yeah. week he would lose his false teeth and try and get yeah. them back yeah yeah and then um, i suppose it i'm just thinking there about what was the uh, the car in the wacky races that had the haunted mansion on the back that kind of has that same sort yeah, of vibe it, it, well was it the, the, gr- the, the gruesome something is it the gruesome twosome and the creepy cooper i think it yeah was. yeah yeah and you did you had like an adams family monsters type you know mm. house in the back of the car loved wacky races that was fantastic yeah. with with the dragon in the, the in the tower right. <laughs> yeah why are we talking yeah, about yeah. wacky races this is edward scissorhands <laughs> <laughs> these are his influences oh absolutely absolutely yeah but i also lo- lo- love the fact that it's um it's a fairy tale that's been plonked down into, you know, like a domestic situation, isn't it? You know? Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of the, the sort of ideal sort of American sort of town. It's, it's kind of what they try to portray in like poltergeist, you know, um, and, uh, or in a film like blue velvet, where you've got this perfect town or supposed perfect town. Um, and yeah, there's just this slight thing off to the side, which is a bit creepy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just that the fact that you've got this town, and then at the end, you've just got this giant mountain with a castle on it, is you know. Yeah, I mean, the little girl, she says, "Oh, it's haunted," you know, and that's why nobody goes there, and nobody's ever discovered him before. But you know, like so much in this film, you, the second you try to think about it. The whole oh, thing falls yeah. apart, but you're not supposed to think about it because it's a fairy's tale, you know. Yeah, you know, are we led? Are we led to believe they built that entire estate, but no one wandered up there to see who was in that big old house? If that was in the <laughs> UK, that would have been flattened, or it would have been, you know, converted into luxury apartments or something, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> and also, I mean, I, I I watched the film, you know, uh, today, and like. Very often when you do podcasts and you're you're thinking outside of the film instead of thinking just of the film, other things occur to you. And the thing that occurred to me today was when uh, spoilers, by the way, when Vincent Price dies and, and he falls down in front of Edward, it's like 
what happened to his body then? Is is there like a skeleton still somewhere <laughs> lying around in there? You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like we see a grave or anything uh, that you know Ed Edwards had like a, a, a sort of a chance to you know or the intelligence to bury him. No, um, no, no, no. Yeah, he just it just seems more like he he just retreated up to the attic. You know. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just stayed up there. Uh, All right. Yeah. So that's it. That's uh, our little preamble. Um, out the way so uh, let's go ahead and have a clip then shall we okay smuggling sweetie it's cold out there at the end of the credits we see hmm. the mansion at the top of the hill uh, we pull back the camera comes back from it uh, we pull back in through the window and we've got old age we own a rider there haven't we yeah yeah so what do you reckon on old age we own a rider now in 2017 it, it's it's one of those makeups where you know we're never going to believe that uh, Winona Ryder at whatever age she was when she made this as an old lady uh, you can kind of tell you know she, she's kind of a, a young a young girl in old age makeup but it, you know it's 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 really well done um, you know but um, th- there was a, a thing I've seen online which was the, the 10 you know wor- worst old age makeups and it did actually fall into that category along with the uh, you know the Dick Smith little big man one uh, which is absolutely you know a crime basically because that is absolutely fantastic makeup we've discussed this um, before and i I, th- I think we came to the agreement that whoever came up with that list was a bloody idiot yeah you know it, it is uh just one of these kind of mojo.com type top tens of this and top tens of that 
And um, it did go up on Practical Effects Group, and, you know, the entire thing was shot down by nearly every member. Yeah, um, too right. And, you know, people were saying, you know, how dare they sort of put these, you know, these are people who've put their heart into these makeups and won awards. And, yeah. Um, you know, with the Winona one, yeah, um, you know, if, if if she was meant to be in a serious drama, uh, you know, the driving Miss Daisy or um, in terms of endearment, you'd have thought there's something not quite right about this uh, old lady. But it, it works. And, um, you know, to, it's probably the, the facial structure and just the, uh, her young eyes that just don't make it work. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's still good makeup. And I'd. I'd I do believe it was probably by there's a, a chap called Matthew Mungle um, and there's a, a lady called V Neil and I think she does the face off competition, All right. um, which is this um, you know makeup uh, thing that they have uh, in America where people go on and compete, um, and she's one of the judges. Now I get the feeling that they'll be the people responsible. Probably not Stan Winston. I think he was uh, you he know was more in the suit, wasn't he? In the yeah, he was more involved Day. with the yeah with that side of stuff um him and there was a chap called crash uh, crash mccreary who was the the guy i think who did a lot of the design work for edwards so yeah mm, yeah I, what you said there i mean it's absolutely right if this makeup was in uh, a more contemporary serious regular drama you might go oh but so often in this film you can go well it's a fairy tale and because it's yeah, a fairy yeah. tale you just go along with it don't you even we own a rider's uh, blonde wig later <laughs> in the film i can excuse that away as well because that's an awful i know it's not blonde yeah. it's ginger her ginger yeah. wig is just oh dear but you can you can give it some slack because it's a fairy tale yeah and i suppose you can sort of say that the, the winona rider character looking at her in that makeup she's still kind of she's still thinking back she's like young at heart almost well she says at the end that you can still catch her dancing in yeah yeah Yeah. so so she hasn't aged sort of internally she's just aged externally but she's yeah so yeah it's all all great stuff yeah yeah we cut we we cut uh from her we see her turn around and you've got that well I don't think it's a whacking great big bed. It's just the way that it's been photographed. I don't know if it's the lens on the camera or whatever, but it, it looks huge with the big pillows with the tiny little girl in there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which and always it, got a it, laugh. I mean, I used right. to I used to watch the opening of the film. I used to watch the ice dance scene, and I used to watch the end. Um, and this always used to get a laugh from the audience, but as soon as they saw that little girl stuck in amongst all those pillows. Right. Uh I'm not sure if that actress has ever been anything since she she does she's not like one of these like the the, the little girl who's in things like Matilda and things like that where you go oh you know I I, I kind of know her yeah. or um you know she she's not a recognisable face to me so I don't know what else she'd been in I do, I, I doubt if she's been in anything because I think she's bloody awful in this I mean she mm. apologies to her if she is an actress um and she went on to other things but in this her you know that whole hands scissors delivery is oh it, it, it yeah this is the bit I don't like about in this sequence yeah yeah so kids are always uh, <laughs> they're either they're either brilliant or they're dreadful aren't they there's yeah. no middle ground with kids this actors. is very true this is very true <laughs> Um, so we're going into the story, you know, from Weona, you know, to, to sell, uh, yeah. the, the, the kid down because it's cold outside and she starts talking about the mansion at the top of the hills. And, uh, and as she's doing that story, the camera, it, it goes back out the window, doesn't it? And it moves yeah. down 
to the ground, there's a like a black shadow or a hedge. It, it yeah. goes into that blackness, and that's obviously the cut point because when mm. we pull out of that, we're in the model work for the town now, aren't we? Yeah, and it does help that it's nighttime and you've just got kind of like the lights. Um, and it's snow as well, isn't it? Yeah, snow yeah, over you, everything. You know, that, that helps in a, in a lot of ways. I suppose the downside of filming a model, though, supposedly at night, is I mean, if, if you're doing a miniature and you're filming in the daytime, then you can really pump the light in, which adds to the depth of field. But I suppose mm. if you're filming a nighttime miniature, uh, you haven't got the, you can't put the amount of light into mm. it. So, you know, I do get the feeling, I think there's a couple of shots as it moves towards the castle where the focus does go slightly out. Right. Um, on that now, I'm thinking back to it, you know, which is obviously a depth of field problem. Mm. Uh, because, but it's still you know, done very well. I mean, it's oh, it, yeah, it's yeah. a terrific it's, shot, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it it, it this, the model is exactly the same as the the live action. I mean, you know, the buildings are all in exactly the same relation to each other as we see later on in the film. The Boggs's house yeah. has got its little tree house on stilt things in, in its back garden. The cul-de-sac is there with the entrance going up into the mansion that we see at the end of the film. So it, it it's totally accurate. This model. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it should be as well because they had the full size set to work from, didn't they? So this is very, you know, true. yeah. So they've they've kind of got the the perfect uh, template to get the model exactly right um, in every detail. So yeah. yeah, I mean, these days it would definitely be just like a drone shot over the real sort of yes. thing, and then they would just cut to it, uh, you know, to a C CG version or a, something afterwards. But uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and, you know, as the camera's moving up, it moves through the, the, the woods at the base of the hill going up to the mansion. And we've got Danny Elfman's music mm. uh, rising up. And, um, you know, we've we, we've we've just said there that, you know, um, this film, you know, is is early Tim Burton. And a lot of the things that are so effective about this film is because we hadn't seen Tim Burton do this before. And yeah. it's the same thing with Danny Elfman with this score um, mm. that it's a fantastic score it's one of my favorite soundtracks um yeah. and it's one that i've got on my ipod and i listen to very often but unfortunately this and batman um that he did um you know for tim burton later became almost like uh, a template that he would go back to and do riffs off and variations on and after a while it just became quite boring and yeah. tiresome i think yeah, it's it's that kind of thing of um, he did the Spider Man soundtrack, I think, for Sam Raimi. He did the Dark Man soundtrack yeah. for Sam Raimi, and you can hear those Elfman esque things. Now, you know, some might argue that's a good thing. Some might argue that's a bad thing. Um, you know, John, John Williams, I suppose, has done the uh, the, the Star Wars, the Jaws, uh, the Harry Potters, and you can hear those William Williams esque themes. Mm. Um, but um, I know Jerry Goldsmith. Sometimes when you listen to some of the things he did, like the uh, you know um, the Planet of the Apes music, for instance, you know it's still, uh, radically different to some of his other scores. Yeah. Um, you you couldn't sort of say, oh, that's definitely Jerry Goldsmith's score because he's using those same themes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unlike James Horner, who I was going to say, James Horner <laughs> constantly like used. Yeah. I was watching something on the other week. Uh, I think it might have been Red Heat. And he was actually using the, instead of the steel drums, which he used in Commando and 48 Hours, it was kind of almost like the equivalent of the instrument, but for like the Soviet sort of sound. Right. But you could you could still hear that kind of typical <laughs> James Horner. Um, 
And I sometimes used to think, how did he get away with handing in this music to a director? You know, surely the director would turn around and say, hang on a minute, didn't you do the same music for Glory? Or didn't you do the same music for, uh, you know, another movie? It just seemed like he was handing in the same score. But, um, I mean, yeah, it said Elfman had Elfman-esque, but he wasn't just ripping himself off. No, no, no. But that's it. That's the that that's our first sequence done. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because then we go into the live action. So we've got to zip a bit further through uh, the film to uh, we first meet the inventor inside the house. In well, it doesn't look like a house. I mean, this is more like yeah. a factory floor, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a fl- flashback sequence, isn't it? Uh, I think um, the, the the mother's chopping something up, and um, Edward sort of. Yeah, thinking, no, thinking. she's she, she's got the uh, electric can opener, and That's as Edward's right. looking at that, we, yeah. we we cut to. I I could never figure that out. The, the 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 can that's on its side, and you've got like an Edward Scissorhands scissor blade knife yeah. comes in to cut the lid off, and then it opens, and pink goo comes out. To me, that that the 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 lid of that can looks like it's made out of paper. It doesn't look like it would hold the mass of that liquid that's just about to come out. Right. Yeah, it's, it's weird because it, it can't be a flashback because Edward wasn't actually around at this time unless but, he was... No, it's a fairy tale. Keep telling yeah, yourself. Yeah. No, no, we can't. <laughs> if you start thinking about this, um, you know, it, too much, it completely falls apart. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we've got a proper production line going on in this huge room. I don't know where the heck – maybe it's like the TARDIS, this mansion, because mm. there's no way that, that room would fit in that mansion. But um, – it's like a proper production line, isn't it? You know, you've got yeah. all this machinery that, that here and there has nods to Edward, you know, or, um, the strapping on one of the tanks looks like his belt and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. But, and, um, and yeah, all, all the creations that are in there that are doing things, you know, I mean, they're not robots, they're devices that sort of look like, you know, basic humans and that they, they're all doing fun little things. Yeah, and um, and in that sort of time period, you know, we had the um, the, the the Doc Brown uh, at the beginning of uh, Back to the Future, you know, a few years earlier, where he's got this similar thing. He's got this crazy invention that just opens the tin of dog food yes. for the, for, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then it, and then you've got uh, uh, Billy Peltz's dad in Gremlins, who's an inventor, and very much so. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. There was, and I'm sure there's probably several other films that I just can't recall that had similar sort of things where you've got just kind of crazy devices to do a, a simple task and i suppose it followed on later on into the wallace and gromit you know yeah, sort of yeah, uh, yeah. type thing of just mad overcomplicated devices to do such a simple task in this scene here the uh, overcomplicated device for getting an egg and smashing it that's a total uh, peltzer device yeah, just there yeah, isn't it you know? yeah <laughs> yeah and you know the, the the main bulk of the device is just kind of stamping out the uh, the gingerbread men on the conveyor belt which um say so if you see how much waste is actually getting yeah. you know not cut out uh, it would be easy if you just did it all by hand and he'd get, he'd get far, far more uh, you know gingerbread men than the machines giving him yeah that jumping robot i mean he, he's he, it's not very convincing the way he's cutting them out and as you say there's an awful lot of waste of uh of, of pastry going on here, yeah it, you know? it's it's not stamping down it's just kind of almost like on like the end of coat hanger kind of yeah. way it's just like <laughs> jumping backwards and forwards it has no pressure whatsoever wow. to actually 
actually cut anything out. <laughs> but then they go on to the uh, to the oven that's got a face in it, which is great. I love that. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's um, that's a good touch, isn't it? You yeah. sort of see that straight away. The kind of the face on it. Yeah, I've 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 said before, you know, if you start thinking about this film logically for more than two seconds, you're gonna your brain's gonna crumble. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of them being, why is he making gingerbread men? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is he selling them to fund his, you know, other inventions? Does he go down to the town with a little barrow um, yeah. to sell them? What yeah, is going that, on? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things you think was there ever a, a part in the screenplay where it did explain that you know that's what he used to do. You know, he was a, a he had a, a a market stall or something. Maybe it was for yeah. trick or treaters or something yeah, like that. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we've got all these beautiful, you know, devices that, uh, you know, are just, you know, quirky and strange and weird. And, uh, as we're looking at them around the corner of the big tank comes the inventor, Mr. Vincent Price himself. Yeah. And he doesn't have a name, does he? I think he's just, no, he's known just as the, inventor. the inventor. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no name given to him in the story. And he comes uh, around that corner and he's he's got a glint in his eye and he's just like a child on Christmas morning, you know. <laughs> he yeah, really is. Yeah. yeah. Where where really, you know, he shouldn't be because he's this is his invention and he, yeah, and he, he knows how it, <laughs> he, he knows how it works. But uh, yeah, it's just for the thing of the movie. It's it's like he's still fascinated by how good everything is and yeah. what it does. You you just know that Vincent Price is is having the time of his life here. You know, he's he's enjoying doing this. I mean, he's a brilliant actor. I'm yeah. sure he was chuffed to bits. You know, when Tim Burton said you know, I want you to be in this film, blah, 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 yeah. that he's still working at that age, you know. Yeah. How old was he at that point? It was, it was I, 70s, 80s, I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure. He wasn't he did, well. Yeah, he did pass away not long after, didn't he? I don't, yeah. I, I don't know, is, is it one of them situations where he never got to see the final movie, or did he get to see it? I'm, I don't know. I, I wouldn't like know. to say. I'll have to look into it and put it up on Facebook. Because, uh, you know, there's a couple of these things, isn't there, with people like um, uh, Philip K. Dick as as the author of Blade Runner. And, yeah, he passed uh, away just before, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, and, and James Herbert, I think, did with you, and I think he's seen the bulk of it, but... Uh, uh, sorry, Frank Herbert uh, with yeah, June. James Herbert. That's oh, a completely yeah, different yeah. author. <laughs> yeah, Frank, Frank, Frank Herbert with June. Uh, yeah, again, I think he he seen the bulk of it and went on set, but I don't know if he ever got to see the final film. Right. No. Uh, it would be interesting to see whether he got to see the end of uh, Edward Scissorhands then, you know. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, uh, Vincent Price, he had such a, a huge, uh, um, you know, career in films, but our children only know him from this and being on Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I uh, today, um, you know, when I was just having one last look before uh, getting ready for today's show, uh, I put on uh, these sequences and our eldest daughter came in and she was like oh yeah he's the one who's in thriller and it's like yeah he's done more than that and i got down yeah. you know the house on haunted hill off of the shelf and it's like look there he is look there he yeah. is as a young man you know <laughs> well the one i remember and i think it was probably mid mid 80s is the uh, basil great mouse detective he was professor yeah. ratigan and he was brilliant in that and uh the the, the kind of based the character on him style wise but the, the bulks him up he was a lot more pompous yeah. and bigger he wasn't the kind of the, the slim kind of you know the it still embodied him but uh yeah he was that really kind of puffed him up yeah size wise yeah uh, but he's, 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 go on. sorry no no after you 
So he's an unusual actor because he's not one of those who you would particularly sort of say, uh, you know, is just purely a villain in a movie. He, he can be the hero and he can be the villain, a bit like Peter Cushing could be. Yes. Um, you know, and y- you wouldn't look at him and just go, oh, this this guy can only play villains or this guy can only play the good guy. He could play both equally as well, yeah. which shows just how good he was, you know. And, j- uh, and just like Peter Cushing, you know, they they could be in the biggest pile of crap but they were always yeah. good they always gave their all they were always entertaining yeah. and very much so with peter cushing and and vincent price is when they're on screen you kind of like you just watch them doesn't matter about who else is in the scene you know yeah when you've got an actor like that where you know he's just walking into a scene is enough to change the course of the movie and mm. uh, you know for, for me i've often said that you know sam rockwell's very much like that in the yeah. uh, you know, he's fantastic in Moon because it's his solo piece. But in the other movies I've seen him in, even if they haven't been particularly great movies, you just think Sam Rockwell just brings so much more. And yeah. Charlie's Angels is a classic example because uh, in Charlie's Angels, obviously, he's, um, you know, it's a, it's a fairly lighthearted sort of comedic take on the um, the TV series. But just Sam Rockwell is great, you know, and he's great. He's re- I tell you, another film he's really good in. I think it's Iron Man 2 was the guy yeah. who's the, you know, he. <laughs> It just has a presence about him. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's an you, you idiot can't. in that film. He's an idiot, and you're laughing at him, you know. Yeah, but um, he's, he can play an idiot so well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you Galaxy know, not, Quest. He's an idiot in Galaxy Quest. That's my favourite Sam Rockwell role. I mean, you know, this guy yeah. <laughs> in Galaxy yeah. Quest. He's brilliant who, in that. Yeah, who who just kind of knows that he's the the, the red shirt, doesn't he? he is. You know, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> crewman, if any, crewman if anyone's going to get, get shot, it's going to be him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I, very fitting that, um, you know, Vincent Price is in this film. You know, he had already formed a, a, a friendship with Tim Burton after um, doing the narration for Vincent. Yeah. yeah That's which is short. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and apparently, you know, on set, he was quite a mentor to Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. Um, yeah. Which is good to hear. Well, again, you know, there's, uh, there's the stories that a friend of mine told me about Christopher Lee on the set of Lord of the Rings. And, you know, he he was a, a fantastic sort of person for just telling about his career. And some people might see that as, oh, he's telling another one of his tales, but other people found it fascinating. And I'm sure he was the same. He's, his career spanned so far that when he started making movies, it wasn't the same as you know, when he finished making movies, so much had gone under, yeah. you know, like so much water under the bridge in terms of how films were made, how studios developed movies, the yeah, studio how they system changed and everything. You know? Yeah, you know what 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 was uh, deemed as horrific in one decade was practically children's TV in the next. Yes, you know, so yeah. and of course um, he wasn't just an actor. I remember you know seeing him on TV um, on cookery programs. He he was he was quite a cook as well. I vaguely recall seeing him on Parkinson, uh, possibly. I, I don't. I think I've seen him sort of like on YouTube on some of the Parkinson interviews that he did with uh, with him. And again, he seemed like yeah, he's completely charismatic personality. You know, yeah. um, you know, I'm sure he was just like a really nice guy. I don't. He's somebody I don't necessarily know a great deal about, though, family-wise. I mean, you know. About, I, whether he had any children or whether he's he was got married a daughter or... who's a great exponent of his she right. goes on uh, um, um she goes to the cons and things like that i've i've just got um uh, dr fibes rises again on on blu-ray and there's a uh, that there's a feature on her and a documentary on that about her father all oh, right okay 
Yeah, you should you, you should track that down. Arrow have got a sale at the moment, and it was like seven pounds. Right. I'll have a look. Yeah, good. Yeah. So that's it. He, he comes round. He looks at all his things um, going on, and um, uh, the most proto Edward we see is the final one um, mm. when he's picked up a like a gingerbread heart, and he turns to this uh, this device that looks almost <laughs> like Edward. It's there chopping the vegetables up with its scissors scissor fingers, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he puts the heart up to it, and you, you know you get the idea that yeah. this is where he's had the notion of making his own man. Yeah, and it's um, it's like you're obviously giving him those hands. Does he think I can I can combine all of this machinery into a person who can do the same job? Yeah, you know that's why he gives him the scissor hands initially. It's like his his implements to. Yeah, he's to, just stripping parts of the equipment off to to yeah. for this new project. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But again, don't think too much into it. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, that's that sequence over. So we'll go on to behind the scenes. Um, yeah. Now we're talking about the special effects, and and you know the first special effects is 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 the model of the of the neighbourhood. Now the neighbourhood model is based on the real neighbourhood that they uh, that they used, um, and that yeah. was down to a guy by the name of Bo Welch, who was the production designer, and. Um, Apparently, the script had little detail of just how the neighborhood would look. So uh, right. he and his team, they began looking around neighborhoods in America, mostly in Texas and Florida. And they came across a brand new housing development um, just outside of Tampa. Um, and they were allowed to go in, take out anything that had already been put in, all, all the, the hedges and put their own in. They were the ones who uh, painted the uh, the houses in all those bright yeah. colors that, that, yeah. that you've got. So that's that. That 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 was the the live action set. Um, the miniature effects were down to a guy I know that you know by the name of Mark Stetson. Yeah, yeah. He, he sort of ran a company called Stetson Visual Services for a lot of years until uh, I think What World was the last thing he worked on as that company. But he he still works now, obviously. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Blade Runner and Star Trek: The Motion Picture, some of these more. Yeah, he he started on Star Trek. He did that the the work bee, that little yellow shuttle yeah. type craft that you see in Space Dock. In yeah. That. Yeah. As you say, uh, Ghostbusters, Buckaroo Banzai, True Lies, Fifth Element. Um, yeah. He, he did an awful lot of stuff. Yeah, he's just another one of those names from kind of me growing up looking through magazines like Cinefix, Cine Fantastic, you know, and seeing the same the, names over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> you know, thinking, oh, I'd like to be Mark Stetson making all these models. You know? Yeah, it's like the Skotak brothers as well. You just yeah. saw these names coming up all the time. Yeah, the one thing I don't think uh, we know is just how big that model was um, f for that town and you know for the houses in the castle uh, i've got no point of reference no. in terms of any photographs in the book which will show no. me you know how big that was but i'm sure it was a motion control shot um and with it being shot inside obviously you've got this uh problem with like if it's nighttime you've got the depth of field thing because mm -hmm. uh, miniatures obviously uh, if you want to get depth of field you pump the massive amount of light in and then you, you, your lens can handle the depth but if you're shooting at night time with little leds uh, there'll have been the old kind of grain of wheat bulbs probably back then. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you've kind of got that problem. You can't put too much light on. It's maybe night time. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, it'd be interesting to see just how big that miniature was. Uh, you know, cause... I haven't been able to find a photo of it. And no. you, know, you, you and I were talking off air about we're both convinced that we've both got books or articles about this and neither of us can find the flaming thing yeah i could i could have i could have laid money that there was a cinefix you know as soon as you you mentioned this to me the other week about talking about it you know it's like oh there's a cinefix on that for sure yeah. i and thought then, there was i thought then, there was i thought it was one of these ones where it's not on the cover but it's like the set second article in or something yeah. like that but no i've looked through all mine i can't find it yeah well i even went on the cinefx websites and looked at their all list of entire back issues and the early editions especially was often just two articles or possibly three to push and you know mm. there's nothing on there where i think oh oh there's one on mark stetson's visual services or whatever you know it's, mm. there's not so <laughs> i yeah, kind of imagine it... i kind of imagined the article but no, uh, if 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 anybody out is out there <laughs> and can correct these two idiots and say yes, it was in this magazine or whatever, can you please post that up on Facebook? We'd really appreciate it. It's it's got to be Starlog or Cine Fantastique. It kind of been Fantastic Films. I don't think that was even still published at that point. And it wasn't it? Starburst. Starburst at this point had stopped doing their set reports and in depth yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know. Um, I don't know, but I know I've read it. I know I've seen the photos of, you know, the attic room. I yeah. can see it. I can see the magazine in front of me with that photo, you know, but I'll be yeah. blowed if I can figure out where it was. Because the Stan Winston books got some of the work, obviously, on the suit and the, the makeup and things like that, but certainly won't have anything to do with the uh, the miniature building. So yeah, I don't it, think there was. I don't think there was ever a making of book because again, yeah. I've got making of books of some quite obscure movies here, including things like the uh, you know the Avengers movie they did with Ray Fiennes, mm. um, and I'm. So I'm sure there must have been one on Edwards' hands at some point. Probably will have been. I can't it see would why. be nice if, if you know, you know, for its anniversary, you know, yeah. they did do something like this. I mean, you're you're getting it now. Um, recently, we've had the big trouble in Little China uh, yeah. book. Well, two books. Um, it would be really nice, wouldn't it? Well, um, the, the, the ones recently which I've bought, which I've absolutely loved, are the um, there's the been the from Titan books. There was the Ghostbusters one, um, mm-hmm. and there was the Close Encounters, Close Encounters one. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're both the same format as well. They've both got the same spines. They've both got the same Titan logo, and they're like the first two of hopefully what's going to be a continuing set. Well, maybe Edward might be in there. That would be really good. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd. I'd if they could do a book kind of like on even Stetson Visual Services or any of those type of people, it'd be great. But, uh, yeah. you know, there's so many great, great things in there which I've never seen before. And then you, you know, do all these like lovely little kind of slips of paper with like invitations to the screening and, uh, you know, almost like little photo stats of re- real notes between the director yeah, and sure. an actor. And uh, I think there's, there's one in the Close Encounters book. It's a little note from Truefall to Spielberg you know which is kind of like just a little uh, like a telegram he sent him to sort of yeah. say you know it was a real pleasure working with you sort of thing yeah. so yeah it's great yeah just do one on something like Ed, Ed Wood and that yeah yeah a few years ago I went to uh, a Tim Burton exhibition in Paris uh, right. which was a collection of a lot of his original artwork and sculptures he's quite a sculptor and uh, all his film props and it was very in-depth but the only thing that they had from Edward Scissorhands was the costume, which was brilliant to look at, to actually see it there right in front of you. But it would be nice if, if you know, the mansion model had yeah. been there or, or some of the little buildings, but no, no. Yeah. 
No, we'll have to, we'll have, to have a, a good dig out and see if we can find something important on the Facebook page. But, All uh, right. Okay. All right. Um, what else have I got? Oh, yeah, Tim Burton in the commentary on the DVD, he says he enjoyed the factory set. He enjoyed the fact that it was made, you know, full size with working props. Yeah. Um, you know, it could have been done in uh, post-production, but he, he, he preferred actually being on there and it, it just made for a better, you know, believability for it. Yeah, it, it it always felt a lot like a stage set to me because it was just like a flat back wall and, you know, the floor and then everything's going on in front of it. It didn't feel, you know, the camera's not doing anything drastic like flying around it. No, very um, often the camera's just standing still like a viewer in the audience and you've just got this wide yeah, shot of, yeah. of it, haven't you? And uh, I suppose it harkens back as well to all of the kind of the devices from sort of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Willy Wonka movie and stuff like that, which, yeah. funnily enough, Burton would go on to do a remake of. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, yeah, those kind of devices that are, are cooking and making things. and uh, But, you know, it, again, I've never been involved with anything like that, but it must be quite a task to do a set that has that much going on and get it all to work on the day. Yeah. You know, various sort of steam jets and conveyor belts and things like that. It's a, it's a job in itself, isn't it? You know, to, yeah. to the, for I, these people who build these things. Yeah, I, I, I want to see a photo taken at a 90 degree angle where you've got the, the crew working behind the actual yeah. machinery, making it work, yeah. you know. And then, then the downside of all this is it must be so disheartening in the sort of end of the shoot when these type of sets, the bulk of them, is they just get struck, don't they? They yeah. just pull them down and they just get skipped. I you would know, keep at least one of those devices, maybe, you know, the, the, the vegetable chopping Edward. I'll take that yeah. one for me. Yeah, there the, the must, the must be somebody who sort of says, well, you know, that's going in the skip. I'll, I'll take that home with me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, the, bulk, the bulk of it, like the, the walls and um, things like that, will just end up getting dumped. But uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a shame, really. But uh, I suppose <laughs> studios have only got a finite amount of storage space. And, yeah, uh, and time, because, you know, the... You, you know the actual uh, studio is being used for something else you know next week everything's got to be taken down because the next film's coming in to film yeah. in here so yeah they've got to be practical yeah well, okay uh, the only other thing um, we've mentioned it before this was Vincent Price's last film yeah um, he originally had a much bigger role but he had emphysema at the time and it was trimmed right down Right. Um, and so this was his last role, um, and his death scene was his very last scene, um, which um, which is sad. But I think yeah. it's a worthy cap to his career. You know, he had a fantastic career, um, and it's great that you know his film was as good yeah. as this. He went out on a high, knowing that you know how much he was loved and respected, you know, by the public and his peers. I'm sure he knew that he he would now be seen by a new generation of yeah. children in this and and what you were saying just earlier on about you know um your children recognizing him um yeah it's a, it's a film that was done in 1990 it's getting on a bit but it's it's still a great movie and fam families and people still like it and it's just one of those things isn't it you know if you're a film star you kind of and you're a good one you end up living forever essentially in your yeah. work and people yeah. always you know look back and you know, there's plenty of uh, movie stars which, you know, that had long since passed away before I was even born in the late 60s who, you know, are ingrained now in my memory as people I grew up watching. 
from various movies and you know mm. in some respects as you know as long as there's still a way to watch these films they'll always be around and yeah. people will always yeah. know them and price is one of those you know there's there's a lot of younger people i follow on sort of instagram accounts who are horror fans who you know post pictures of him regularly and you know so he does have a, a new fan base and i think he always will do he's yeah. associated with the genre um one thing I don't know if you've seen it, and it does annoy me, is there's this very, very well-known photograph of um, Vincent Price and Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, and um, you see it sort of like all three of them together. But what what people don't realise is David Carradine um, should be in. Is it David yeah, Carradine? House, House of Long Shadows, isn't it? They were all in the house. Is it, was it, is, the it John, ha- is it John Carradine? Yeah, it's John Carradine. Carradine. John, yeah. John Carradine. Yeah. John Carradine yeah. should be in that picture as well. But somebody yeah. has actually essentially cloned him out and moved one of them into the middle. And you can tell once you've actually really? seen the ori- yeah once you've seen the original picture. Um, a few people put up um, a while ago on one of the forums, and somebody straight away jumped in, uh, like I would now, and say. Hey, that picture should have a fourth person in it, and um, yeah, they've they've cloned him out and sort of just had the three real icons. But uh, yeah, John Carradine's actually been taken out, Good and it's grief. really it's really annoying. I've actually pulled people up on Instagram who've posted it and said, you know, private message him said, hey, you do realise that this should be the picture that you posted? And I've said, oh my god, you know, it's like really, yeah, that's pretty bad that someone's taken him out the shot. And it's John Carradine. It's 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 not you know a. a, a a sparky or a grip that yeah. wandered into yeah. shot. This is John Carradine, who himself has a long, distinguished, you know, career in genre film. Yeah. So oh, good it's grief. A, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really. I'll try and find that and we put it up on the page. Yeah, just to show, please do. You know, please it is, do. It is. I didn't know that. I'll t- I'll tell you. I actually mentioned it too. Is uh, uh, slash from Guns and Roses. He actually. Uh, yeah, he follows, follows you on Instagram. Doesn't follows he? my account. And he put that picture up, and I actually private messaged him and said, "You do realise that John Carradine's missing from this picture?" And he was like, "Similar thing." He's like, "Oh, really?" He's like, "Oh, wow, that's really shocking, isn't it?" It is shocking. So he did no, reply. He did, re- he did reply and sort of, you know, yeah. So. Oh, good grief! All right, icon. Okay, right. Rating then, Andrew. What do you reckon on this? I'm going to give this an eight. I think mm-hmm. for the whole for the whole two like the two sequences, um, it it's it's like a I suppose the ratings is like the, the overall feel of everything, not particularly like you know the the, the set building and the special effects, mm-hmm. just like the general feeling that the scene gives you. And yeah, I get, I'll give it an eight. I think it's a very entertaining sort of movie. Two sequences. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But, it's entertaining. It's charming, but I'm not as generous. I'm I'm only giving it a seven. So right. that gives it a seven and a half. Right. Okay. Which is which is fine. I think I, f- I think that's okay. I think that's yeah. okay. Yeah. This is a this is a different type of movie for me to normally talk about because I think in the past I've been many more sort of the sci-fi type movies. Yeah. I've talked about like the alien ones and things like that. So this is a bit different for me. It's not necessarily my go-to movie if i was going to just sit down and watch a movie i do enjoy it um mm. you know it, it is a, a great tim burton movie um but yeah it's, it's a different sort of type of thing i would normally be talking about all right well ne- next time we're back on track with your usual stuff okay we'll talk about that in a minute <laughs> all right yeah. okay then andrew thank you for your time tonight and uh right. yeah, as i say we'll have you back soon 
Okay, pleasure as usual. All right, bye. Cheers there, matey. Bye-bye.